No, but um, <laughs> we can edit it out. Yeah. My wife uh, sends her greetings. Uh, she, for those of you that missed it, um, the man-child was in the front seat of the van. So they're playing soccer right now, and it's like no degrees outside. And so she got the, the man-child in the front seat of the, of the minivan of love, okay? And he says, I'm coughing. Now, he's, they've had a little battle of the wheels going on all day because he's been in somewhat of a foul mood, okay? Which, and then he slept two hours twice. Yeah. And there's, yeah, it's just, he's just, just not right, you know? Now, he hadn't slept in satin sheets, so he'd really not be right if that happened. <laughs> but... Um, so yeah, he says he decides that he's coughing, and she's like, "No, you're not coughing." And, but apparently, what he was doing was that that the the trigger that happens right before you hurl was was firing on him. And and look, young people, okay, men and women, I implore you, understand. Here's the things they don't tell you in the in the marriage classes and in the in the kids classes. When your kids are young, that thing that you and I have as grown-ups that says, "I think I'm going to puke. I should do something about it." doesn't work in a kid. They literally will be standing there talking and just, bah! I mean, it's like, like mid-sentence, bah! and then it was normal. It's the weirdest thing. You know, with me, I'm in a fetal position in the corner, you know. Um, so apparently what's happening is his trigger is, is, is starting to work. Like it's, that, it's starting to develop now because he's like, he says I'm coughing. And what ended up happening ultimately was he had had bananas, which not good, by the way. He'd made basically a smoothie in the front seat. Um, <laughs> went to Ninefords to get a strawberry blonde right on the floor. Uh, so, um, yeah, Shannon's at home, you know, with our fingers crossed. Because, you know, anyway. Amber's at home sick, and that's why I'm recording. Because she's like, I don't want to fall behind. You better take your computer and record, <laughs> record it. Later. She's got to send her love gift. She can't be. <laughs> this, this is copyright protected. Hi, Karen. <laughs> hey, look, we got you a seat right up here. <laughs> she just wrinkled her nose. I've taken up five today. You are excellent. So, so uh, I was in the Tulsa yesterday at this great little church, and the, this little lady named Lavona, who is the pastor, and, uh, and the church is like in a trailer park, which is awesome. Like seriously, like shares the property with it, you know, and and I was loving it because I, you know the message I was bringing was kind of what we've talked a lot about here, being fruit and being a conduit and all those things. And, and yeah, But, you know, they get up and give the announcements. And literally, this little church with this little old lady who uh, I've known for years, uh, like three-quarters of their announcements are not about, hey, small groups meeting in this night and, you know, the church, the Christmas play and whatever, men's fellowship. or It was, okay, we got uh, Angel Tree programmer starting this week. We got... Uh, the, the food bank they had like literally on the stage were places to put like food bank donations and then there was the angel tree donations and the I mean this little group of like little people in this middle of it's just amazing yeah they actually kind of technically were strangely enough they were um, and so we talked about it and they said you know when she just puts like a puts a bucket on the stage and, and says uh, hey you know we really would love to you know everything you guys are doing and we, we listen to your podcasts, and uh, so, and we want to just take up an offering for you. Um, and so, seven hundred and twenty dollars from this, you know, little church of less than a hundred people. And uh, yeah, I was like just blown away. So we're going to just go ahead and feed some kids in Haiti with it. So I thought, yeah, like, why not? <laughs> you know, it was like, you know. Anyway, I'm just. Well, here's what's so great is that I feel like what's almost happening with conduit is 
this is kind of what we are, which is our little band of warriors. But then this thing is kind of virally spreading. And even when they're not giving here, people are giving and, and leaning forward into the kingdom. And it's creating, if nothing else, like a rallying point for folks, including us, right, to do something for the kingdom and to feed and to clothe and to shelter. And, and uh, I don't know, it's just amazing. I mean, we, this little band of warriors, and somehow in the middle of all this, we've had over $4,000 just magically appear out of nowhere in the past couple of weeks. Um, and I have a feeling that the more that we all talk about it, too, like I was at a golf tournament for work, and I was golfing with this old guy, and he ended up being a Christian, he ended up being an elder in his church, and I was telling him about conduit, and he's like, man, that sounds like something I'd love to be a part of. It's like, give me, give me information, I want to see the website and all that. So I'm like, told him the website's almost done. But yeah. There's certain people that just straight up have to have a website. Yeah, you know? <laughs> and it's fair enough. I mean, yeah. I think that's what's so amazing. I mean, our, we've been super ghetto, really. And, I mean, this is like, what? This is our recording operation, right? Um, I mean, it's a nice computer. I don't mean that any offensively. But, but it's like, what, over $40,000, you know, have come through our walls to feed and clothe. And it's just, I, I don't know, it's just amazing to see what's happened. And it's been... Um, I don't know, I'm excited to see what what the Lord continues to do and uh, as we just come and honor him and, and search his, his scriptures and and uh, and we started Exodus if you weren't here last week because you know I don't know our, our world right now is it, uh, if you've watched uh, CNN or Fox News or whatever your uh, bent is um, for news our world's kind of messed up Um there's a lot of moving parts to the world right now. Um, I was talking to uh, some some friends this week, and they were like, man, do you really think that the Lord is going to return? And, and uh, yeah, I really do. And, and they made the statement that, well, you know, lots of people have thought that over the years in, in their lifetime. And that's true, um, starting with Paul and Peter and James. And I'm okay being in that company. Do you know what I mean? Um, but we're at a point now where it feels like, okay, I feel like he probably needs to come back because we're at the first time in history where, like, we have the power to destroy ourselves, like, as a, as a world, globally. Like, in Paul's day, Rome could, you know, they'd get, like, cut each other up and, and like, do, like, bad, you know, you saw the gladiator. I mean, they, they were mean. 300, right? Um, but then they'd beat each other up and then some other nation would rise up. But this is the kind of thing where if we, you know, if we start lobbing nukes over on each other, like, the world goes away. Right, it's that kind of a world that we live in, and you put like a global crisis on top of it, and you put a financial crisis on top of it, and it's like, okay, now'd be a good time. <laughs> like now would be a good time for the Lord to return, and and I do think in our lifetime we will. And what we see right now, ultimately, what I think we're seeing is the world being prepared for what will ultimately be a, a great global leader. I know when you watch like the Kirk Cameron movies, or, or especially in the old days, like the Antichrist was like this really super creepy dude, like with like borderline Spock, right, with a touch of Hannibal Lecter, and you know, just that kind of... <laughs> with the fava beans. Um, but it's not that. It's like a, this global leader. It doesn't necessarily have to be some super creepy dude, right? It's going to be somebody who will basically be able to come into a world and unite the world, and what would on earth would cause a globe to need to be united, right? Then some sort of gigantic crisis, some sort of... I mean, right now, Sarkozy, the guy from France, is saying, let's get everybody together. You know, the European Asian Union was already together talking about money issues, 
and you've got Sarkowski coming over here saying, look, the United States, you guys got to lead. We've got to get a new global financial solution together. You know, I mean, that's the kind of stuff that, like, the guys in the 50s, you know, really yell a lot about in briefs that, you know, the, the mark and the beast, and then all of a sudden it's like, wow, this could actually happen. But into that environment is a world that's looking for a savior. It's a world that you get folks like the Oprah on TV saying, oh, you know, he's the one, you know, the... The, yeah, the one, you know. And, 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 and whatever you're, we're looking for somebody to get us out of this. That's really what's going on. And that's the same exact world that Israel was in circa 1500, okay, BC. It was a world where these guys had been oppressed, had been beaten down, had been absolutely whipped into submission and enslaved, and they just wanted a way out. They were looking for their Redeemer, their Messiah, so to speak, that was going to come and to redeem them from this. And what I love about the picture that we're going to see tonight in chapter 2 is who God chose, which is Moses. And we've all been to Sunday school, or maybe you haven't been. But, you know, Moses, you know, the guy with the flowing beard and the big staff and these 15, 10 commandments. Um, I give you these 15 <laughs> 10 commandments <laughs> um, and what's amazing well, let's read let's read chapter 2 verse 1 page 52 now a man of the house of Levi which is a priest married a Levite woman and she became pregnant and gave birth to the son to a son and when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could no longer hide him, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. If you're a student of the Bible, those two things might jump out at you because that was what uh, Noah used to put together the ark to waterproof. It was tar and pitch. and Oh, that we had four hours to talk about that. You're like, Darren, but we don't. I'm aware. Then she placed the child in it, put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. His sister Miriam, who would, you'd see later unfold as the book, uh, as the story unfolds, this is, that's his sister. It's kind of like, uh, who knows how old she would have been. I kind of picture somebody, Maddie, my daughter's age 12 years old, watching her brother being put in a river. And I, look, I've been on the Nile, okay? There's like crocodiles and hippos and stuff, like stuff that eat babies and other, like, humans, right, you know. And what I find fascinating is often as the Bible does, it just kind of just kind of lays it out there. But think about it for a minute. If you've got a baby, you know, she's pregnant, they didn't have the technology to know whether it was going to be a boy or a girl. Um, probably she was hoping it was a girl because she knew what would happen if it were a boy. They would have to kill the baby. That's what the, the, the Pharaoh had suggested, was you were commanded, you've got to kill the baby. And when it's a boy, just like any mother, she doesn't want to let it go. But what I love about what she did, the picture of if you knew the babies were getting killed at the river, would you go to the river? Like, I wouldn't. I'd go to somewhere else, like a long ways from the river. But in faith, I think she takes the baby to the river. And what we see is God unfolding this design for the people of Israel. Because Pharaoh's daughter, complete coincidence, okay, God incidents, if you will, 
happens to be the one going down to the Nile to bathe. Josephus, the historian, says that this is actually Pharaoh's only daughter. Like it would have been an only child situation. But imagine if it would have been Pharaoh's son, right? You know, guys and babies, you get kind of spooked by them, right? But a, a, a lady looking at a baby, my wife, look, my wife sees a baby, she loses her mind. I mean, seriously, you want to see my wife, like, just go all, like, goo-goo-ga-ga and, you know, turns on that little clock inside, you know, that, like, thankfully we can't do anything about anymore. If you know what I'm saying. Um, (laughs) Falls way into the category of TMI. We can edit that out, too. Yeah. The, The Pharaoh's daughter sees this baby. Pharaoh's daughter picks up. We know the story, right? I don't mean to belabor this. She opened it. She saw the baby. He was crying. She felt sorry for him. And this is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. I don't know that this to be the fact, by the way, but I wonder if the Hebrew custom would have required circumcision. And I wonder if that's how they knew it was a Hebrew baby, right? Um, I don't know. You, yes, go, she answered. And the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this baby and nurse him for me, and I will pay you. Don't you love God, by the way? Like, not only is she going to get to nurse her own child, but she's going to get paid for it from Pharaoh's bank account. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. Which is what it means, basically, to be called out, to be drawn out. One day, after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Glancing this way and that, seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. The next day, he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting, and he asked one in the, uh, he asked the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? And the man said, verse 14, Who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? And then Moses was afraid and thought, What I did I must have become known. And when Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian, where he sat down by a well. Now a priest of Midian, a Levite, had seven daughters. And they came to draw water and fill the troughs to water their father's flock. Some shepherds came along and drove them away, but Moses got up and came to their rescue and watered their flock. And when the girls returned to Ruah, their father, he asked them, Why have you returned so early today? They answered, An Egyptian, interesting, by the way, they didn't say Hebrew, an Egyptian rescued us from the shepherds. He even threw water for it, drew water for us, and watered the flock. And where is he? Asked he asked his daughters, and why did you leave him? Invite him to have something to eat. Moses agreed to stay with the man who gave, who gave his daughter Zipporah to Moses in marriage. Zipporah gave birth to a son, and Moses named him Gershom, saying that I have become an alien in a foreign land. And during that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out, and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. And God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And so God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. Moses, when you read Exodus, 
you almost you have to really think of it on three levels. It's an exodus, a deliverance from not only their like it isn't just their historical account. It is that. But you think of it then in terms of what the Bible refers to as our own exodus out of sin. If you were here last week in Luke nine thirty one, when Moses makes a cameo appearance in the New Testament and talks with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. It says that they were talking about his decease that was to come just days before he was going to die. And decease in the Greek language is exodos. It's his leaving, his departure. He's, he's leading a new exodus, if you will. A new uh, escape from not just our sins individually, even though that's true, but from our sins systemically, societally. There's a reason why. No government can be perfect. Whether it's a monarchy, a theocracy, socialism, you know, our own democracy, because ultimately it is ran by human beings who are sinful and corrupt. And what happens in almost every society is that the majority begins to oppress the minority. The needs of the majority begin to beat down. And that's why you see things like genocide in Darfur. You see what happens in... Uh, it, even in Iraq right now, the Sunnis and the Shias, it's two people groups that want to oppress the other. People left to their own devices, when we go to our default mode, that's what happens. So not only is it individually, it's systemically, and ultimately it's eternally. It's us becoming a new creation, a new creature, old things are passed away in the systems, but also in our eternal nature that Jesus says, I'm going, to, I'm going to prepare a place for you. If it weren't so, I wouldn't have said that. He said, he's gone to do that. So this isn't just a picture historically of what happened in Israel. It's a picture spiritually of what Jesus came to do, which is to bring a new kingdom for you, for me. And he didn't come to do it violently, not this part of it. I had a conversation last week with a, with a young guy that he was trying to figure out how the God of the Old Testament and Jesus actually could reconcile with each other. How could they be the same? And and it's easy when you camp out just in the Gospels, you think, huh, how could that possibly reconcile? But then you go to the book of Revelation and you see the guy that's on the horse with the can of whoop God and the sword is Jesus. He's coming back to to judge the, the, the living and the dead, to, to judge the wicked. So whether it's Mugabe, whether it's Stalin, whether it's Hitler, whether it's Putin, Ahmadinejad, whoever, God is coming by, He's going to set it right, and there will be judgment for those in those situations. But in the meantime, it's like, okay, so we know our future is secure, and we know our past is taken care of, and the book of Exodus is all about the middle of it. Well, now what do we do? How do we live? What do we do? What does the kingdom look like? What are, what's my job now? I got, you know, fire insurance. I don't have to go to hell, which is huge. Don't get me wrong. But what do I do in the meantime? And the answer starts right here with, with Moses. It's not just Moses individually. It's a picture of Jesus who is to come, which it, it, some of you are visiting tonight. One of the things that we talk about is that good theology is looking for Jesus in the scriptures because he's there. He's everywhere. Moses didn't even know it. It was a picture of Jesus. And what we see ultimately is this. And we can, we can see this for our own lives individually. We can see it for our nation nationally and for our world globally. And that is that there was a people that was crying out 
to God for change. They were crying out to God for a deliverer. They were crying out to God. And if you look in chapters 1 and 2, something is really interesting. This, it really covers a span of 400 years from chap, verse 1, chapter 1, to the end of chapter 2. And you barely see God mentioned at all. And that's important to realize because I want you to... If you don't hear anything else I say tonight before we start talking amongst ourselves here, God's absence physically does not mean that He is absent in working. Just because you don't see Him, just because I don't hear Him, just because I'm not feeling Him right now, this would have been maybe a silent period. There's another period between the Old Testament and the New Testament that's 400 years long that God was kind of silent. But it doesn't mean that He's not working right now. Because what the people of Israel didn't know, what the people of Israel couldn't know, was that God was working. That God had heard their cries. Was going to redeem them. And they had taken a guy named Moses who was a fine baby. And had put him into a situation that was so unique that it probably never happened before or never happened again. He was a Hebrew child being raised by a mother who was teaching him about God. No doubt telling him the stories of the fathers of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. No doubt telling him of the people that would be delivered one day. No doubt giving him the entire playbook of what God had promised way back in Genesis chapter 15. Of course, she didn't have Genesis back then, by the way. The Bible was really short. And at the same time, simultaneously, here's Moses going to school in Pharaoh's at the top of the food chain in Egypt at the most sophisticated, the most complex. He would have known the language, the culture, the fact that they would have seen him here in chapter 2 and said this is an Egyptian. He would have looked like an Egyptian. He didn't look like a Hebrew. So he's got these two lives and God is systematically building the escape. And it's amazing because God, you would think at this moment, because what, what happened with Moses is he sees, he feels it in his heart. He knows what's going on. He sees his people getting oppressed. He sees the need. And he does kind of what you and I maybe would do, and that's that he responds to the need as opposed to the word. Because the fact is, is that, and we feel this at Conduit all the time, there's so much need. And if I'm only responding specifically to just the needs, I'm going to go out of my mind. I'm going to be, I mean, when you're, if you've been to Haiti, or I mean, I was in Africa, there's just, a, like I use the phrase tsunami of need. And so I can't respond to the needs. What I respond to is the word of the Lord regarding what needs that I'm to meet, what needs that I'm supposed to tack onto. There's a reason why Conduit specifically just divides our resources down to two or three organizations, because we spread it between the hundreds of, of organizations that are available. We're not going to make as big of an impact as if we're just focusing on the two or three that the Lord is leading us to do. And so Moses, responding to the need as opposed to the word of the Lord regarding that need, he's basically doing God's work his own way and not doing God's work God's way. So he goes in, he decides he's going to beat up the guy, and we know the story, you know, whatever. He buries him in the sand. Maybe the overnight the wind blows and there's a hand sticking up out of the sand like Stephen King style. And he gets busted. And he gets taken to the backside of the desert. He's running away. So he spent the first 40 years of his life becoming a somebody. Becoming a successful, powerful guy. And now he's on Egypt's Most Wanted on Fox TV. Like they're looking for, you've seen this man, Moses. Looking for him. He's hiding in Midian, okay? And he becomes a shepherd. 
Genesis 46 says that shepherds were an abomination in the eyes of Egyptians. Moses, who thinks he's got it figured out, is going to go save the day, gets taken by the Lord for 40 years. And this is where I want to camp out and where I want us to talk a little bit after. Because what God did is fascinating. Moses became a has-been. He became, I wonder whatever happened to. He became poor and unsuccessful. His college now was being taught by sheep and goats by himself as an abomination hanging out in the desert. And what I find fascinating is that God so often chooses that to deliver His people. And as poetic as it sounds, God always in the Scriptures takes the least qualified, the least likely like if you were the most likely to do something in high school God says you're not that's not what I want you to do that I want you to be the one that you're the least likely to do this because he gets maximum glory maximum impact because what ultimately what happens is I rely on him fully in those situations because I'm not qualified for it later you'll see Moses saying I can't speak I don't even know I can't do this and then you look throughout the word what, what was what was the guy that God chose to basically impact the entire Gentile nation for the Lord was a guy that spent the first half of his life killing Christians. Like, I'll choose that guy. Nobody would suspect that. You know, you go through the Old Testament over and over again, you see it happen. You see Elisha, who's just a farmer, you know, just hanging out and minding his own business, and God called him off of his job to go do something massive for the kingdom. He chooses the least likely, and I don't know about you, but I find really a lot of comfort in that. Because, I don't, I mean... I'm the kind of guy that I, I sometimes think, like, if my clients knew exactly, like, how I was raised and exactly, and for a long time I was so uncomfortable with it, I never even talked about it. And now I've become so comfortable, I'm like, well, I mean, it's, it's just who I am. Government cheese and food stamps and, you know, food pantries and all those things, that's what I was when I was a kid. That's where I came from. You know, I mean, I joke about it, but I mean, I, I literally got the crap beat out of me when I was a kid. You know, spit on and made fun of. And, uh, we were just who we were. And I was having this conversation with my daughter who's in soccer now, and she's the eighth graders keep making her do things. They call her sixth grader. They've dehumanized her, okay? She's been marginalized <laughs> as a sixth grader in the eighth grade soccer. You know, hey, sixth grader, come get the ball. Hey, sixth grader, pick up these cones. Hey, sixth grader. And, and as a father, what I want to do is I want to go and snap their necks <laughs> and bury them in the poplar grove sand. <laughs> call their fathers and challenge them to a fight (laughs) to a duel but what I learned was that every every time every moment and I didn't even the beauty of it is I didn't even have to know it God doesn't whether I know it or not is irrelevant to the Lord he's still going to make it happen in my life every fist that was punched at me every spit loogie that was on me still gives me the heaps every name was a piece that God was putting in place building who I would ultimately become and continues to do that. Every situation I'm in right now is a block that's building the, the, the foundation of, of who I am just like with you personally and individually. And the less qualified you feel, the more marginalized you feel, the more likely is that God wants to do something big in your life because you don't make sense. And God says, I'll take that one. And with Moses... He made sense when he was 40 years old. 
It made complete sense for him to walk into Pharaoh's court and to say, let my people go. But God said, i got something else for you to do. And it was 40 years. 40. Longer than I've been alive. Which, by the way, is a long time. Okay, Almost a half a century. Moses is sitting in a desert, guarding sheep. And listen to this. Uh, this is my... And if you're an underliner, what I love is this. I think it's verse 23. Let's start there. No, no, verse 21. Moses agreed to stay with the man who gave his daughter Zipporah to Moses in marriage. If you've got a King James Bible, what you see is the word content. Moses, it contented Moses. Moses was content to stay here. And that jumped out at me. Like, you know, if, if, if you, if you, when you're searching the scriptures, if you're reading, man, pray. Pray in the Spirit. Pray that the Lord will speak to you as you're reading. Because He does. This is, He absolutely does. And today that word jumped out at me. Moses was content. Because it jumped out because I remember what Paul said in Philippians 4. He says that I've learned to be content. Whether I have much or whether I have little. And I find it ironic because I always thought that the having much part was the hardest, you know. You think, oh, poor Paul. <laughs> he didn't have much, you know. He didn't have to learn how to be content. Honestly, in our country, we've proven that it actually is harder to be content when you have more than it is when you have little. So there's sort of an irony in that. But Moses became content. And in Hebrews eleven twenty six, you put, it, put your finger in Exodus and we'll maybe draw this to a close on my side of it. But the, the, the best commentary, by the way, on the Bible is the Bible, Okay. Whatever I got to say, whatever your favorite Bible guys got to say, the Bible is the best commentary on the Bible. In Hebrews 11, 26, verse 24, let's start there. Because how did he become content? How did he figure it out to be content? Because i got to tell you, I've, I've, I mean, I grew up in rural America. I've been around sheep. They're no fun. They're stupid. They stink. They're frustrating. They, like, get killed. By faith, Moses, verse 24, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God, rather to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He regarded, that word regarded as a financial term, like assessed, disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He uh, he persevered because I'm sorry, I had marked that almost clean, clean through. Persevered because he had saw him who was invisible. And he goes on to talk about Moses' life. But what he said was this: he he regarded, he assessed. I don't know if you guys watched the Antique Roadshow, right? Like I don't, but I, I okay, did once. But. <laughs> they bring on stuff and they assess it. They figure out how much it's worth. If you're going to sell your house, you've got to have an assessment done. You've got to figure out how much it's worth. And what he basically said is he regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as greater value. He weighed it and said, this, for the sake of Christ for now, is worth far more than the riches of Egypt. And i got to tell you, for me, I've got to get there in my mind and in my heart that I could regard disgrace for the sake of Christ to be greater than the riches of America. And I'm not maybe there yet. I mean, I, you know, it's like the scales are doing this. Like eventually, maybe maybe to go down, you know. But but like right now, I mean, I find myself. I really want to be there that I can really regard disgrace for Christ 
greater than my house in Prince of Wales Court, and my car that I drive, and my, my bed that I sleep in. And can I regard it greater than that? And I'm not suggesting, for a minute, I'm not suggesting that having a house is a sin or any of those things, but regarding it as greater is a sin. And what Moses figured out was that everything that God had put him through from the river that he was thrown into in a basket that thankfully floated to being put into the desert was greater. And I love this because it says he was looking ahead to the cross. You and I look backwards to the cross, to to what Christ did. He was looking forward to what Christ would do. He ultimately would die without ever seeing the promise this side of heaven. But faith drove him, is what Hebrews tells us, towards what would happen one day. And I guess what I'm... If I were to try to sew all this up somehow, is that what I feel like what God is saying to our world right now is we're looking for somebody to come save us, somebody who's a somebody to come and to save our country. And I think God is looking for a bunch of nobodies to come out and to, to change the world. To be a part of moving the kingdom. I don't know if you've figured it out, but to, to get to be president or to get to be Congress or get to be... You've got to be somebody. You've got to know somebody. You've got to marry a beer heiress or something. You know, I mean, you've got to figure out how to make... You know what I mean? You've got to... Because it's not cheap to be president. These guys raise millions of dollars and they're movers and they're shakers and they're working in rooms and because they're somebody. And God says, while I appreciate their enthusiasm, I'm looking for some nobodies to come in and to change the world. Now, ultimately, God's coming. He's going to set the kingdom right. But in the meantime, you and I are His implementation of His will on this earth. And while I want so badly for our government to be able to figure out how to feed the poor, I'm just going to tell you, I grew up on welfare. They can't. And and first of all, if they could, you wouldn't want what they had to give anyway. That food was terrible. But... All the, the hoops you had to jump through, the, the calling, the number to see if you were gonna, if your check was going to still qualify this month. And, but if dad made $800 that month as opposed to $799 and all of a sudden he didn't qualify for it anymore, as if $800 was going to feed a family of four anyway. Do you know what I mean? It's like they can't figure it out. And, and, and let them, we'll pray for them. And the Bible says we're to pray for our leaders. But in the meantime, let's be the church right where we are. Let's say, and, and God is, I believe it, He spoke to all, He's already spoke to us about conduit. There's a need, and He said, give it, here's a word, go do this. And I think that in our room, and maybe someone listening by podcast, that there are people that are in our world, in our church right now, that have been prepared, whether they were beat up as a kid, whether their lives right now, like on some river of pain that they're flowing down, or some desert where all everything is dried up, and they doesn't feel like there's any hope. God's cooking some nobodies out there on slow roast for such a time as this. That it's our job, it's our privilege to be Christ to the world. He has chosen us. It, quite honestly, seems like a pretty stupid plan to me. When you can make it rain bread and stuff and rain chickens in Egypt like he did, on the surface it seems so stupid but underneath the surface it seems perfectly like the Lord to choose the absolute least likely route of success 
and to say, that's what I'm going to do, to choose you, to choose me, to choose this, that we have an actual design, that he designed you, he designed me. Whether it was in, again, your high school, whether it was right now where you are, these things are absolutely coming together. This divine design that God had for Moses is the same divine design that he has for us individually, collectively, to change the world. And that when he does return, and man, I really hope and pray that it is in our lifetime, that he'll find us, he'll find you, he'll find me working on his behalf. Let me tell you what, I don't know if you've ever, maybe at your your work when the boss shows up surprised and you happen to be doing your job at that particular moment, it feels pretty good, don't it? Right? Some of you are like, well, I always do my job. But you know, maybe you're, you're... the mystery shopper came and you know and, and gave you the good grade. You got you were you got the good report because you got found doing it right. I'm just looking for that. Oh, you know the well done. And the good news is, is he says that my burden is easy, my burden is light. It is, it's supposed to be hard. That's why I think conduit is such an amazing thing. But hey, none of us working that hard. But kids are eating. Kids are being saved. People's lives are being altered permanently because of what we're doing right here in this little world. And, and he took. A nobody like me, who literally, when I left to go to Bible college, I had a car that, I mean, was held together by duct tape and Jesus, okay? I had nothing. I didn't have, a, I didn't have, I mean, we just, I didn't know what, they didn't, it's a miracle I even made. I didn't know what I was going to do. I had no plans. And on all those days that were going on, even with this little platform that God has given me, it's the same thing for you guys. It's like, I'm no different than you. I'm just a guy. I'm a guy that blows it every day, including today. And God still says, yeah, but I can still make that one work because I get more credit for it than hearing it happen. That makes no sense whatsoever. <laughs> so God absolutely gets credit in that situation. And I'm totally fine with that. I'm completely and uniquely fine with that. And I want to be like Moses. I want to challenge you to be like Moses, and that is to be content where God has you right now, knowing that there's a plan and a voice that's speaking to you. So I want to pray, and then I want to just hear what you got to say. As we read through Exodus chapter 2, did something jump out to you? Did something speak to you did something you know make sense last week was amazing some people said some stuff I mean Jay said some stuff Amber it was like blew me away so let the Lord speak through you guys now so God thank you for your word thank you for your promises and Lord if we think we're somebody remind us that we're not I mean that's I guess the beauty of it Lord is you're looking for a bunch of nobodies and we're all right here standing tall and any of us in here that might want to be somebody Take us to the desert. Take us there. That we ask to be humble, and sometimes that requires humiliation to get to the humble part. They're two different sides of the same word. And Lord, you've definitely humiliated me in my lifetime. Used some circumstances that I didn't see, I didn't understand. Quite frankly, made me angry at the time. And I look back now and say, oh, duh, that makes perfect sense. Because you built me into who I am. And, and I know that you're not done with me. You're not done with any of us. That I've got more of this to come. I might get to go to the desert again, Lord. And I, I, I might not like it, but at least I'm not going to fight it this time. And my prayers that my brothers and sisters here tonight, whatever, whether we're in the desert or whether we're in the time of plenty, that we would be like Moses, that we would be like Paul, that we would be content, that we would weigh the riches of our world versus the promise that is to come and find it in it's not even close. You win hands down, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.